0: The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm Chapter 2 The Goblin Pits Even though the goblins had spread through most of the caverns and caves in this area, they still wanted more. Territory was power in the Iron Realm, And the more your tribe controlled, the greater your reputation and notoriety. One way that the goblins expanded their reach was to excavate new tunnels in the rock. To do so was a labor that was left almost exclusively to their slaves. Stockholm the Dwarf and his halfling friend Temek had been forced into this labor. For them, the days were long. Stockholm managed better than Temek and often covered for him to spare him the lash. Temek's usual good-hearted nature had faded in the pitch-black tunnels, but beside his friend he was able to go on. Unknown to the goblins, Stockholm could understand their speech and sometimes used it to his advantage. And when the goblin guards began to speak of newly acquired slaves, one of which would be received here, and the others of whom were to be taken to one of the other pits, Stockholm understood every detail perfectly. When a human male, Solus, was thrown into the pits with them, a few weeks later, Stockholm gathered that the young man had been one of these. Solus, like all humans, was blind in the total darkness of the slave pits. But Stockholm soon learned that this man was very strong, for he took well to the work. The older dwarf befriended Solus right away, sensing that a strong ally such as this could be helpful to know. Solus likewise kept close to the dwarf for the news he could glean from the goblins, and became fast friends with Temek as well. When Solus discovered from the dwarf that there were other humans, females, Being held captive in a nearby cave, it fired his outrage and intensified his desire to escape. When we get out, said Solas to the dwarf, we have to get the others too. Human beings are responsible to each other. Stockholm tried to sway the young man's mind on the matter, for already escape had only the slimmest chance to succeed. But Solas refused to entertain any plan that didn't involve rescuing the women. Their chance did finally come one night when the workers were supposed to be asleep. All were, but Stockholm, the older dwarf, was listening to the rising chatter amongst the guards. Apparently, there had been some gold discovered in one of the other pits, and the guards had just learned of a gambling opportunity that had arisen as a result. Chances were, the chieftain would execute any goblin guard who was caught gambling for a prize meant just for him. If he were to know, the goblins excitedly and greedily agreed amongst themselves that the goblin chieftain need never know. There were suddenly only a couple of guards standing watch, where earlier there had been ten. Those who were left complained loudly at being left behind and swore that there had better be plenty of gold left by the time it was their turn to have a go. The dwarf shook slowly awake his companions, muffling them as they awoke, so that the guards would not know that they had risen. The dwarf was first over the lip of the pit, then the halfling. They climbed and successfully navigated the edge, somehow, without being seen. The dwarf pushed against the halfling's chest, and Tammac froze. Meanwhile, the dwarf rounded the corner past the guards, and located a mining car that was still full of rock from the dig. With a plan now coming to mind, he braced against the cart with all his weight and began pushing it down the incline toward the pit. The goblins noticed the cart coming perhaps too late as it sped towards them. The first goblin couldn't get out of the way since the passage was a tight fit and he was pushed backwards into the pit where he was crushed to death at once by the ten-foot drop and the plummeting car full of rocks." The second goblin did jump aside, but Temek, who was still in the shadows, leapt out and struck the guard. The goblin had been surprised by this, and though he retaliated at once against Temek, by this time Stockholm had joined the fight, and they silenced the goblin before anything else could happen. Solas had avoided the plunging cart, and had managed to stagger atop it and reach the edge of the pit himself. Let's run, said the dwarf, grabbing his friend by the hands, for of course only Stockholm could see where they were going. Behind them, the monsters in the pit were starting to wake, and the dwarf knew it wouldn't be long before they were swarming the tunnels. I am your Maze Master, Abel Enzo, and welcome back to Iron Realm. This is Chapter 2 of my actual play fantasy role-playing podcast. I hope that the day is finding you well, and I hope that you enjoyed the intro to this episode. Last time we talked, we'd rolled up stats on seven new characters. So, as promised, I have put together character information, which I'd like to share with you now. I shall tell you just a little bit about three of them for today. Character Introduction The first character is called Solus, and he is a human male fighter. Level 1. A newcomer to the ways of battle, Solas has taken up the sword as a way to defend his party. Solas is a young but strong-looking man. He has no beard, his jaw is square, his blue eyes are piercing, his hair is brown, and he stands tall with an imposing posture. Trustworthy, kind, sometimes forward, Solis places the well-being of the group above himself. Level-headed in a fight. The natural leader of the group. Stockholm. Dwarven Male, Fighter, Level 1. This black-bearded dwarf is hard like the rocks that form all of the Iron Realm. He has broad shoulders, squat body, thick legs. Stockholm is well-muscled. He has black eyes and black hair. His beard is carefully braided. His eyes are kind but stern. His skin is of an earth-like color. Satisfied to be fighting against the evil races here, Stockholm is pleased to have new allies in his fight. Stockholm is longtime friends with Temek, who he has journeyed with for a long time in the Iron Realm. And finally, there's Temek, halfling male fighter, level one. Temek is short of stature, but he stands out in a room due to his outgoing attitude. He has brown hair and brown eyes. He does not have a beard, which, along with his size, makes him seem almost childlike at times to the taller races. Possessed of a childlike spirit, somehow life in the Iron Realm has been slow to take this halfling's innocence. Not a leader, but somehow he is capable of bringing courage to his comrades, even in hopeless situations. He is greatly curious of all the strange things they see both wonderful and horrible. Though light-hearted with his friends, Tamek has a dangerous side as well that can come out suddenly in heated situations and when the need is great. While going through the Iron Realm, some of you might find it interesting to map along with the group. Should you decide to do so, your reward will be having your own map, your own authentic, personally drawn, one-of-a-kind map of the Iron Realm. Although certainly creating such a map is not at all required for you to listen to and enjoy this podcast. If you are interested, I will tell you that the pad that I purchased is called Ampad. It is a letter sized dual pad graph paper, ideal for scale drawings, one hundred sheets per pad, eight and a half by eleven and three quarters, quad ruled four squares per inch. Basically it's your standard pad of graph paper. Looks like the level one dungeon will be forty three squares wide maximum and thirty three squares high maximum. If you count 20 squares across the top, then count 20 squares down, find out where that lines up, and just put a little dot in that spot on your graph paper. That will be the starting point of the map. So now that you've put your point on the paper at 20 across and 20 down, you've marked that square. I'd like you to turn your attention to the square that is to the upper right of that location. In other words, turn your attention to the square, which is located at 21 across and 19 down. That square is basically a box. That box has four sides. What I want you to do is I want you to trace over two of those sides. I want you to trace the two sides that would make a letter L. Now, going back to that original point you made at location 20. 20. I want you to look to the square which is to the lower right. Just go diagonal down to the lower right, and this would be the square located at 21 across 21 down. I want you to trace over two of the sides on that square. Trace over the top side of that square. Trace over the left side of that square. So what you've basically done is mirrored the L shape. Next, let's go to the square which is to the upper left of your original dot. I want you to trace over two lines in this square. Trace over the rightmost line and trace over the bottommost line, which will give you kind of a backwards L shape. Finally, what I would like you to do is go to the square located at 19 across and 21 down. Outline the line, which is on the upper portion of that square, and also outline the line that is on the right portion of that square. When you're all done, you should have something that looks like a plus sign. If you like, where that dot is in the middle, you could draw over it with sort of a little circle. That is a trap door in the ceiling. That is the starting point for the adventure. In the future, I will refer to this shape as a crossroads. The shape, like a plus sign, which extends in four directions. Two horizontal directions, two vertical directions. So, this is the entrance into level one. The seven player characters have escaped from above, escaped the Goblin Kingdom, and come to this place. The Iron Realm is completely pitch black. It is impossible for any of the humans to see. They definitely need the help of their companions, the elf and the dwarf. And actually, the halfling cannot see in the dark either, so they all need to work together. The Iron Realm tends to have this ambient cold everywhere. The temperature of the Iron Realm is usually between 50 degrees and 60 degrees. Every place in here tends to be relatively cold. Most of the time, the walls are made of hewn stone. It's rare to find the corridors to be made of brick. Usually, they're carved straight out of the rock through hundreds, maybe thousands of years of effort by whatever creatures came before. I'm actually going to be keeping track of game time for the sake of argument. I'm going to say that it is the first day of the first month. The first month is called Primaris, and in the Iron Realm, every month is considered to have 30 days. What is a day? What is night in a place where it is total darkness constantly? I suppose that's a little bit of an abstract question. I am going to go on the assumption that human beings basically have a body clock. You have to sleep for eight hours. Your body probably needs about 16 hours of activity. So although the idea of the passage of time might feel a little bit abstract in a realm of total darkness, I'm going to measure it anyway. I'm going to assume that it is 8 a.m. in the morning when the party escapes from the goblins. I'm also going to indicate that the group is being as absolutely quiet as they can be at all times. They will never speak to each other unless I am so indicating. They will always move through this dungeon as carefully as they possibly can. I'm also going to make the assumption that all of the characters are starting out well-fed, whatever that means for slaves. Of course, in the Iron Realm, they start out with no belongings whatsoever. They were given nothing by the goblins. They were allowed to keep nothing. So, at this point, the group is probably going to be pretty cold. Additionally, they're going to have to find food and water if they're going to survive. This will be their first challenge in the Iron Realm. This is hardcore gaming. What would you do? I'm also going to have to consider the marching order for the group. The scale of the map is one square equals ten feet by ten feet. So each square could accommodate two humans or demi-humans standing abreast. To me, it's going to make sense to have Solus the fighter standing in the front, and beside him, I'm going to put Len the cleric. Bringing up the back of the party, I'm going to put Stockholm the dwarf and Temek the halfling. Basically, the back, I've got a couple of fighter types. In the front, I've got... hmm... I've got Solus and Len. Actually, that's not going to work, is it? Because... Solus and Len are humans, they cannot see in the dark. That would actually make no sense. So here's what we're going to do instead. Marching Order Part 2. We'll put Solus in the front with Stockholm. That way the dwarf can guide him. There's only one other character with Infravision, and that would be Treya the Elf. And I'll put her in the back. And next to Treya the Elf, we can have Temek the Halfling. I'm going to say that in the rank right behind the front, behind Solis and Stockholm, I'm going to put Len, the cleric, and next to her, I'm going to put Echo the rogue. And behind Echo the Rogue, I will put Kaylana, the wizard. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's the marching order. So if wanderers are encountered, it will be the dwarf and the fighter that will encounter them first. If creatures come from behind, it will be Treya the elf and her friend Temek the halfling, who will handle it from the back. It might be a fortunate thing to acquire a light source at a later time, and I dearly hope that they're able to do this. Those that cannot see in the dark are going to be fighting with a great penalty. If I'm not mistaken, that's going to be a negative four. The unfortunate thing, however, is that lights... Also, draw attention. So that could be deadly as well. These characters are really going to have themselves at the mercy of fate until they can pick up some basic supplies. The group is going to be able to move 12 squares every 10 minutes. So, the first thing that happens in this area is that the characters become very, very quiet. They can hear the goblins above them, they can hear the noise of their pursuers, they become as quiet as they can, hoping. That their exit has not been discovered. Eventually the sound of the goblins dies down after about 10 minutes and the characters decide that they can continue. Stockholm the Dwarf and Echo the Rogue search carefully through their immediate area to see if there are any traps. Echo is working at a heavy minus for being in the dark. But ultimately, the group together decides that there are no traps. They realize that the passageway goes in four directions from where they are. North, south, east, and west. I believe that they will decide to go south. This way, says Stockholm the Dwarf in a hissed whisper. So start out from the square that is at the bottom of your plus sign. The characters are going to go south one square. So in the new square, directly south of the one you were just in, make an L shape, then move to the east one square, and make a reverse L shape. Then there's a square just north of that. Close it off by outlining the rightmost side of the box. As you can see, It has finished in a dead end because it has contacted that original crossroads. The characters could spend some time searching for a secret door at this point, but they decide not to do so. They actually retreat back to the center square of the crossroads that they originally entered level 1 at. Next, the characters are going to try heading north. So let's place them at the uppermost square of the crossroads. And from this point, the corridor is a straightaway. It goes six squares to the north. On the sixth square, the passageway is wide open. Next, the characters come upon a second crossroads. So you are going to have to draw a plus sign corridor shape which is similar to the very first shape you drew. You'll have to draw a total of four L-shapes. Each L-shape is a mirror image of the others. The characters cautiously move into the center square of the crossroads. As they listen quietly, they can hear the sounds of creatures far off. Stockholm holds his finger to his lips and hushes the others. As the sounds of the faraway creatures die down, the group considers again what direction they should take next. The characters decide to head east. Directly to the east, there is a T-section. When adding a T-section, first, extend the corridor by just one square. Do this in the square east of the crossroads by outlining the line on the top and the bottom of the next box. You've basically extended the crossroads east by one square. Then, go one more square to the east, and in this new square, outline the eastmost side of the box. As you see, you can no longer go east. There's a choice. Of north or south. When adding the T, you can extend the corridor north and south, one square in each direction. So for the square just to the north, outline the east and western sides of that box. And to the square south of the T, outline the sides east and west of the box. There's your T shape following Stockholm's urging the characters move to the south. There's another street. Away. So, extend at the bottom of a T by three more squares when you get to the third square that one is open and at the end of that square it opens up into another t-shape so remember to add the t-shape it will be four squares total draw the first square by extending the corridor south by one more square then complete your t-shape so block additional travel to the south but leave open the possibility of travel to the east or west there you've got your new t-shape now if you've done this correctly correctly. You should be at 23 across and 17 down. That represents the intersection of the T-shape. Characters decide to press on to the east, where they encounter a hairpin. A hairpin is kind of like a U-shape. It takes up a total of four squares. So first, extend the corridor to the east. One more square. In the very next square to the east, close off the southmost and the eastmost walls. That leaves only northward movement as possible. Move a square to the north and close off the eastmost wall and the northmost wall, which heads back the way you came. And then extend that corridor one more square to the west. There's your hairpin, which is doubling back towards the T-section. When the characters head one more square to the west, they're up against a wall, having only north as their option. They head north one square and see that they can either head east or north from where they are. Of these corridors, they decide to head east. Extend the corridor one more square to the east, and then it branches into a T, going north and south. The characters stand at the center of the T, trying to decide if they should go north or south. They head south into the lower part of the T, extend that corridor one more square, it hairpins to the characters east, and comes back the way they came. They are 28 across, and 17 down. That is the end of the hairpin. As the characters move one square north, they see that the corridor branches to the east and also continues to the north. As the characters move to the east, they move a total of one, two, three squares, and on the third square, the corridor branches to the north and south. The south. The characters head north, one, two, three squares, and on the third square, the corridor branches to the east, west, and continues north. The characters move to the east and the corridor continues four total squares. On the fourth square, the corridor turns. To the south. The characters head three squares to the south, and on the third square, the corridor moves to the east and the west. The characters head to the east. After moving three squares to the east, it opens into a crossroad by continuing east and also north and south. The characters head to the north, the corridor goes two total squares, and on the second square, there's a door on the north wall. There is no other way to go except for the door. As the characters come to the door, Stockholm holds up his hand. He searches for traps. He finds none. He reaches out to the rogue, saying, This way, girl. She eyes him suspiciously at first, but moves forward carefully, checking the door for traps by running her thin fingers along it. She also finds nothing. <laughs> ''Should we go in?'' says Temek, nervously. ''Maybe we should go in.'' ''Wait,'' says Solas. ''I think I heard something.'' What will the group find next in the Iron Realm? Having escaped successfully from the goblins, at least for now, they have come across a door. Will it provide shelter for them in this dangerous realm, or will it provide more peril?'' Tune in to Chapter 3 to find out what befalls our heroes and heroines next. Every 20 minutes that passes in the Iron Realm while the characters are wandering the maze could cause them to encounter a creature, be it friendly or enemy. Unfortunately for the characters, most of what they will encounter in the Iron Realm is completely hostile, and being caught in the dark would actually be extremely dangerous. At the end of Chapter 2, the characters have been on Level 1 of the dungeon for a total of an hour. That means they had three opportunities to be found by roaming creatures and were not. That is actually phenomenally fortunate for them. searching for your next treasure, I tell you now that no gaming collection can ever be complete without including the very best that the Iron Realm has to offer. Available on DriveThruRPG.com, as ebooks, or in premium hard copies, The Iron Realm, Solitaire Essentials, and Gaming Guide has all the gaming aids and rules that you need to play through with dice, by roleplay, or as a part of the Iron Realm global fandom. And if you yearn to explore the Iron Realm setting, then get your hands on... The Iron Realm Campaign Essentials and Character Guide Replete with character profiles and detailed stats for every character on the show While also offering in-depth descriptions of the realm, the other world, the void, enemy tribes, and much much more Where the podcast leaves off The Iron Realm Campaign Essentials and Character Guide begins. Want just a taste? The Iron Realm, enter. The Mega Dungeon is yours for free in ebook form at drivethroughrpg.com. All the gaming aids you need to start playing along with some selected dark fantasy fiction straight from the show. RPG That's through with a u. dot com. Take your gaming collection to the next level. <laughs> Please note, some Iron Realm offerings are tagged for adult content, and so can only be found by logging in to RPG with your setting for adult content enabled. Search on drive RPG for the Iron realm to obtain all of these offerings as ebooks or premium hard copies for your own collection. With these artifacts of power at your command, nothing can stop you now Iron Personas. Before we finish tonight, I'd like to give you a little more of a complete profile on Solus, the human fighter. You'll recall from last time, Solus is a strong fighter, with a strength of 17, a dexterity of 9, a constitution of 11, a charisma of 13, which actually makes him the de facto leader of the party. His intelligence is an 8, and his wisdom is a 9. He has a total of 8 life points. Solus is 20 years old. His skin is white. His eyes are blue. His hair is kind of a light brown color. His height, 6 feet tall. His weight, 170 pounds. He is a well-muscled individual. His homeland? The Iron Realm. Description. Solus is a young, but strong-looking man. He has no beard, his jaw is square. His blue eyes are piercing but can also be kind. His hair is brown and he stands tall with an imposing posture. Solas seems to have an aptitude for a variety of weapons and armor whenever he can lay his hands upon them. Personality. Solus tends to be fairly focused on his responsibilities, particularly with facing dangerous adversaries and when keeping his party safe. Solus is a born leader and will put his life on the line for his friends. He is able to inspire others to acts of valor and camaraderie. Combat Solus is proactive in combat. He is definitely aware of the kill or be killed nature of the Iron Realm and believes that hesitation can be fatal. Solas has found that tactics come naturally to him, and he makes full use of these for himself and his party in order to ensure as much as possible that all of them come out of a fight alive. Homeland. Iron Realm. Like others in the Iron Realm, his past is very easy to him. Solus has only vague memories of fighting to survive, running, hiding, and avoiding hazards. Iron Realm is a plane of existence where there is no natural light, only countless miles of tunnels and caverns. And even in Solas' earliest memories, he was alone, so used to living and surviving on instinct with Solas that he was largely unaware of higher thought like language, logic, or the like. Yet when Solas finally did come into contact with others who were not hostile, certain concepts seemed to come to him as if he had only forgotten them for all these years. These remembrances included a common human language, the use of weapons and armor, tactics, and other memories that seemed to come from some far-off place contact with other humans and demi-humans helped Solus recover more of his lost knowledge. Family. Solus is not aware of having a birth family. To him, his party is his family. He has a special connection to Len, who he perceives to be steady and self-reliant like he is. He regards Stockholm as a father figure whom he respects. He feels especially protective of Echo and Kalana, who he has tender feelings for. Treya he regards as a sister, maybe an older sister, and Temek is the best kind of friend, the kind who one can just let it all go with, current. Soas spent a long time working in the mines as a slave of the goblins. It was here that he came to know Stockholm, the dwarf. And Temek the halfling, his intelligent side came to emerge more and more through contact with these others, and ultimately they made a plan together for escape. Finding that the goblins had other innocent captives as well, Solus insisted that he, with the dwarf and halfling, rescue them. With the help of the elf, Treya, they were able to accomplish this and also find a safe escape route which took them into a series of tunnels and passageways which were wholly unknown to the goblin tribe. The Iron Realm, copyright A. B. Lenzo, can be found online at theironround.blogspot.com I have been your maze master for tonight, Abel Enzo. <laughs> and the characters delve deeper and deeper into peril. Will they triumph? Will they succeed? Or shall their deaths be right around the corner? I would like to thank you all kindly for joining me today on this my solitaire adventure in fantasy role-playing. If you'd like to support the show, please do by sharing this podcast with friends. It is my hope that this solitary adventure will not be only for me, but may be shared by all of you out there who would enjoy listening along, and may also be rooting for our seven characters wandering deep into this dangerous and deadly world. Every one of you out there who is cheering for them, will encourage me to continue the podcast on into the future, and we can only hope that the characters will reach all the way to the maximum level. However that works out, I have to guarantee, it should well be worth the ride. During the upcoming episode, Chapter 3, you will get to hear another portion of the Origins story for the characters, what happened after Solus, and Temek and Stockholm escaped from the Goblin Pit. Additionally, I'll share some more character profiles with you next time. And, of course, we will find out what it is that's behind the door that the characters have discovered. Again, thank you for joining me tonight. And remember, play hard or go home. Iron Row! Good night, my friends.